0: Passion, analysis, hot takes. Welcome to political football. And now your hosts, Cleve, Dave, and Matty Ice.
1: Welcome to political football with Matty Ice, Dave, and Cleve. How you guys doing today, man? What's going on?
2: Uh, are we recording? Yes. <laughs> okay. Then I then I'm I'm doing I'm doing I'm doing okay. How are you doing, Cleef?
1: All good, man. I had a monster lift this morning, getting some gains in. Uh I am uh trying to navigate the new normal because I'm confused as fuck on when to wear a mask, when not to wear a mask. I'm not fully vaxxed yet, so I'm definitely wearing my mask until um it's time for me to take it off. How you how you guys navigating that?
0: Well, uh, I saw a take that basically said, unless you want to be confused as a Republican, keep wearing your mask for a while. So if that's something that you care about, uh, keep doing that. Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, We actually went out to dinner, uh, both Saturday and Sunday. We took our masks with us. We wore them, you know, like into the restaurant. Uh, When we ate outside, we didn't wear them, but it was the first time we'd had any type of normal interaction uh, since the pandemic. And then since our son was born and we were expecting it to be a hot disaster, him throwing food at everybody just kind of not knowing how to act and uh he was actually pretty good so it was uh, all in all a win in my opinion Dave, mm-hmm. hey, what about you bro
2: so uh i've been fully vaccinated for a while now and uh i just don't wear the mask unless somebody asks me to i mean i'm uh, i'm pretty much i'm pretty much done with it uh which is one of the benefits of being fully vaccinated um right no no in you, your case, you're you're
0: republican leave. you yes
2: <laughs> yes that's it I did I did everything the science said all the way through so clearly I'm a I'm a I'm a Republican That's right. That's but Cleve but, Cleve in your case uh yeah until you hit the 2 week mark you want to keep doing what you were doing before in mm-hmm. regards in regards to the mask but once it hits you know they oh, say okay. that um we can't people who are vaccinated really don't transmit the virus um we don't develop covid-19 which is the actual dangerous part so when we get the coronavirus we don't Develop the disease, and uh-huh. it protects well against the variants. So I'm like, all right, well, that's a wrap for me. I'm I'm good until something else changes. So,
1: mm. indeed, indeed. I'm I'm assuming all sporting events um, are now following suit. I, I brought it up. I brought it up as a as a point of just kind of like this confusion out there. Um, for me as a trainer, I have clients that. That are fully vaccinated and some that are that that are not, unfortunately. And I have two people that aren't gonna get it. One for religious reasons, the other person, they just don't want to get it. And I have to navigate around that because again, once I'm fully inoculated, I'm gonna have to make that decision. Like I don't wanna, you know, asympt- asymptomatically give it to you to give it to your kid or whoever. So it, it's kind of a kind of a tricky situation. I wish they had rolled it out a little better. Because it basically went from like one day to the next and um for you guys that are fully vaxxed you know you both you guys you know it's a good time because it's you know getting back our lives in some in some facet so uh i can't wait to join the ranks and i, I definitely want to do a live show at some point with you guys and you know sit down and put some stuff on the grill and shoot the shit wait did Khalid just give me permission to eat oh my god Wait, are you talking about vegetables? You're not talking about vegetables, are you? Well, I, I'll probably have vegetables. I've, I've been slowly transitioning off, off um, animal protein, and it's it's been rough. Like, I am not going to front. Like, I I want a turkey burger so bad. I've been doing, like, the Beyond Burgers. Not really a fan yet, really. Um, Because it's like ice cream. I'm lactose, but I got to eat ice cream. I got to go full, full out. I'm not gonna lactate or some bullshit. I'm just gonna eat ice cream as God intended. So yeah, yeah, vegetables. But uh, if, you, if you throw a turkey burger on, bro, I might have a moment of weakness. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I won't be. I won't be eating any turkey burgers either.
2: Turkey burgers might as well be tofu for me. We're talking steak,
1: <laughs> potatoes. I feel you, bro. I feel you. <laughs> so obviously, the NFL, the NFL is uh, slowly coming back, and um, looking forward to chopping it up about some things that uh, we got going on. So let's get the show on the road. So the first thing that I have here is my, uh, as my notes,
2: I have urban Meyer is dumb. Oh, just um, found that out. <laughs> I always, I always knew he was a dick, but now we're finding out that he's, that he's also might be secretly dumb. Um, What's going on. So first it's all the Tim Tebow stuff, all right? Like oh obviously, God. obviously stupid um we talked about that last week um so it turns out that the jaguars were actually upset that the giants drafted kadarius tony because they wanted to take kadarius tony at 25 overall so obviously i'm going to think that's dumb
1: is Thirdly, that the kid that you
2: hate uh, i mean I don't, I don't hate the kid well, he, well, you he's, know. he's he's not going to be a good nfl player but i don't hate okay. the kid <laughs> uh, okay um, and then during minicamp they so they drafted travis atm the running back out of clemson at Mm -hmm. 25 and during minicamp they used him entirely as a wide receiver and like if you wanted to draft a wide receiver just draft a wide receiver don't draft an elite running back who can catch passes and then try to make him a wide receiver so basically i think urban meyer is While he's the best college coach ever, I think that he's going to try to do the exact same things in the pros that worked in college. It's not going to
1: work, and he's going to be fired in four years. I meant to ask you, when you – I mean, you said this a couple of times on the show. Maybe you've defended his position or not. Why do you think he's the best ever, not like Nick Saban?
2: Because he's done it – better at harder places to win more frequently so once you get entrenched in a place it's a lot easier to keep that ball rolling in college but uh-huh. he you know he wins at bowling green goes to utah goes undefeated with alex smith bounces to florida wins a national title within two years with tebow as the backup wins again two years later with tebow uh takes a couple years off bounces to ohio state after they went six and six wins a national title within three years with zeke and joey bosa and Marshawn Lattimore. Like, he just is able to keep going place to place to place to place to place and keep and keep doing it. Different conferences, different levels of competition. Right. So that's, that's to me, what separates him from people like um, Bear Bryant or Joe Paterno, who are just stuck in the same place forever, which in college football is actually a major advantage. It's easier to be Mike Tomlin uh, in college football than it is in the NFL.
1: I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying about you know, replicating your craft other places because that that is actually been pretty impressive and you rattled off to places that he's gone and, and made them a winner. Uh, when you think with Saban, before Saban got there, was Alabama the powerhouse they were? I, I can't remember. And when Saban, Saban with the loss of a lot of players every year to the draft, basically, that you're stockpiling a lot of talent that you really don't know is going to gel in your in your offense. You know, in your offense. Like, obviously, you, get, you have four running backs that are studs is just the next guy up. But quarterback, if your quarterback leaves, like Mac Jones left, like who's the next guy beyond Mac Jones? Like how does how do you like keep that train rolling, I guess, is, is, is what I was trying to say.
2: So in college football, that's not that hard to do. That's why the same eight teams are, are in contention every single year. Mm. Um, the one argument that Saban has going for him now that he didn't have a couple years ago is that he's really adapting well to how the game is changing, right? Uh, no huddle, fast pace, four wide. You know, offense wins games now and not defense. Your defense just has to be good enough to not lose. You know, he's actually flipping his philosophy to match the times. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Saban still has time because he's still coaching the college game. So Saban has time to run him down. If somebody were to say Nick Saban, I wouldn't argue. But Urban Meyer is able to adapt quickly to new circumstances. And that's what makes him the best college coach ever. And it's what he's failing to do in the NFL, which is why like he's going to be fired in four years.
1: Well, I mean, it sounds like what Matt said last week or two weeks ago where, you know, it looks on paper like he's putting together like how you put together a college squad. Like you just recruited these guys. You got a running back that you want to convert to a hybrid, whatever. And maybe that's maybe that's their scheme. Maybe they're going to go with that. Maybe because he has Trevor Lawrence, he sees some potential there. Uh, we'll see real soon. Like you said, we'll see if this is going to work out real soon.
2: Uh, Matt, would you like to make a wager on, uh, uh, Urban Meyer, not being the head coach at Jacksonville to start the 2025 season?
0: Oh, I mean, I could have, <clears throat> I could have told you that last week, as soon as they brought Tebow into camp, I thought, Oh, this is, this is not <laughs> going to work term. Uh, there may be an adjustment period, but I wanted to ask you a question, Dave, because you talked about how longevity, in college is actually a detriment compared to you know like moving around being able to win at different places and i do understand that and i i I agree to an extent however isn't that kind of the goal in some aspects right because urban meyer leaves florida he's won, won two national titles he leaves florida because he's quote unquote burned out and also the fact that he had like 158 arrests in four years or whatever it was like on the team right and so he moves to ohio state after not being burned out and he probably would have been at Ohio State had it not been for some of the other extracurricular activities that were happening on his staff. So it seems to me that his bouncing around, like going from Bowling Green to Utah and Utah to Florida makes total sense. Like that's what happens in the coaching ranks. You start out at those small schools, you work your way up after being successful. But if he had stayed at any of those places longer than the four years, like he he moved on from Florida almost kind of not because he was taking a step up immediately, but because of all the other stuff that swirls around him in terms of him being a dick like we talked about um, does that factor in there for you because it doesn't it doesn't seem to me as if he was making a move that was calculated at florida that it was just sort of like i need to cut bait because things are kind of getting a little little crazy around me and i need to take a step back and um, reinvigorate my brand so to speak
2: uh so all of that is true but none of that really counters my argument that it is difficult to move from place to place and continue to be successful, and that it is easier to build on success once you've been there. I mean, you're a Virginia Tech fan. Aside from the the Michael Vick years, you know, the Virginia Techsmen were talented recently, than teams Frank Beamer had, but mm-hmm. Beamer just having been there for, I don't know, 9,000 years, it just sort of, you win eight games a year every single year, no matter what. Iowa seeing it right now um, with Kirk Ferentz, who's a bonafide moron. But like they could still win seven eight games every year because once you get going in college you can just sort of keep your your program rolling so the fact that urban myers had to switch programs because he's such a jerk it's true but he still had to switch the programs it still had to build build back up i mean justin fuentes came into virginia tech hot mm-hmm. off of memphis and it just has yeah. it hasn't worked out Mm-hmm. because it's just hard. It's hard to yeah. switch to programs. Harbaugh at Michigan. Like, it's it's hard to switch and do it well. And so the fact that Urban Meyer does it every single time is is the, re- is the reason why, and, and at such a high level. He does it every time, and he wins high every single time, which is why, to me, I put him ahead of Nick Saban. But like I said, if somebody were to say, oh, no, Nick Saban's the best college coach of all time, I wouldn't feel some type of way about it. Gotcha. All right. Um matt i want to talk about this story that you brought to my attention that i only saw a little bit of a uh tweet about and apparently some some kid fell for a joke about a fake falcons tryout what's that all about
0: yeah so uh his name is Wantarius bryant and apparently he's a uh, defensive back at austin p now i don't i know austin p is a very very small school but it is not an HBCU, correct? It's just a very small school. Is that correct? Okay. That
2: is a good question.
0: Okay. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't know. I didn't get to that part, but it kind of just came to me right now, thinking about how small the school was. Does it factor into what we talked about last week with these these kids not getting as much exposure and enough attention? But either way, while Dave's looking that up, uh, the kid apparently received some messages from somebody who uh, was impersonating uh, a member of the Falcons, like kind of you know executive office or talent relations, whatever you want to call it. And uh, obviously, having not been drafted, the idea of being invited to rookie camp for the Falcons, you know, being involved in some way in an NFL camp was exciting. Shows up to the camp and the Falcons are like, we don't know who you are. Um, You're not invited here. And the the kid got, I don't want to say like catfished, but sort of scammed and hoaxed into thinking that he was going to be offered a tryout. You know, gets himself psyched up, He obviously lets his family know this is exciting, and they turn him away at the door because they don't know who he is, and he was completely scammed. And I I feel really bad for the kid. Um, He he tweeted kind of what it had. You know, he's like, I don't really know why somebody would do this to me, um, you know, what happened, but I'm going to move forward. And I have to say the support he has received uh, from the social media universe, which is generally... Um, against positive feeling for the most part, um, it's been nice to see. I do feel bad for the kid, but I think uh, this incident might lend him some exposure. He might get some type of a—I don't want to say like a pity tryout, but you know they might throw him a bone to to let him have some uh, opportunity somewhere.
1: Well, Jacksonville could bring him to the play tight end. They could. Yeah, they, I mean they're obviously pretty much handed it out to anybody actually wouldn't
0: it make more sense for him to be like long snapper since uh that takes uh you know not nearly as much talent as defensive back
1: yeah i um you know this i mean i don't i mean i don't want to sound like a 15 16 year old like all the, you know that's kind of messed up man like to for someone to get that amped up about something that they you know, they knew that they're probably even going to a rookie camp here. It's a long shot in a lot of in a lot of instances like, OK, I, you know, but I get to actually try out and see if I can even make the practice squad or whatever it is. But it's like for you to like get your coins together to get across the country to get there for no one for someone that's like, who the fuck are you? Like it that's pretty fucked up. Um, so I do hope the kid gets a shot at just trying out, if anything, uh, who knows, man, some team may find a diamond in the rough. You know, this might have a silver lining at some point. Dave, what do you think of somebody doing something so malicious? So the thing is, pranks
2: aren't funny. Um, I mean, 99% of the time. One, because people aren't funny. Uh, two, because they're mostly just mean and like assholes think being mean is the same thing as being funny. And right. that's really hard to do. It is hard to like make fun of somebody and also be funny. Cause one, they have to be in on the joke. Right. Yeah. Um, like if Cleve was really, really mad that we always pointed out how he's like 75 years old, it would <laughs> no longer be funny. Right? <laughs> it it would not it would not be a thing. So like for example, I have a friend who was under five feet tall and uh longtime friend. And way back in the day, we're talking like early two thousand, so college years. Um We all had like a massive sleepover at her place, like all of our friends, whole friend group, the whole thing. And one of our friends um, wakes up like groggy at like seven in the morning and says, somebody wake up the short girl, tell her to make me some waffles and falls back asleep. So like now this becomes like a running joke, right? So now when she comes to visit, I'll like put waffles on the top shelf in the kitchen and (laughs) say, right? But this is an inside joke that she's in on and nothing, there's actually no downside to it, right? If you actually try to prank somebody that offers downside to that person, you aren't funny. The prank's not funny. You're an asshole. Like, it's not, it, it's just not funny at all. Candid camera, punked, all of it is not funny. It's mean. It's clever. You know, if you're into that sort of thing, prank calls, but they aren't funny. So no, I don't I don't like that this happened to this kid at all. I fully back this kid. Um you know, I never really want to say violence is necessary, but he figures out who it was and he, you know, hits him with the
1: two piece. I wouldn't like say he's unjustified. Mm. So
0: I want to say to two... Oh, sorry. Okay, go ahead.
1: Sorry, Matt. So, so I just want to in- interject this. So when you, when you guys first mentioned this offline, my first instinct, and this may just be because we live in this society now, my first instinct that this was all a prank on a prank. Like they, like it was like um, some kind of way to go viral or to get a look that they didn't get, to say, you know what, let's set up that I got pranked to come down here. They're not gonna know who I am, but they may give me a, like a pity tryout or whatever. I immediately thought that when I first, when you guys first kind of put it up and I was like damn but then you know I read the story and I'm like wow that's this if this is genuine which I think now it is I I agree with Dave it's like you're not like if it's if it's your in on it brilliant possibly brilliant because you're gonna get a look a lot of guys didn't get but if this really happened to you it's not funny man you know that's my thing
0: yeah and I did see a lot of people saying like how could you just automatically assume that getting a text message or something was this person and i guess in my mind i'm thinking that's fair criticism but at the same time if you were in their position and this was like your ultimate dream and you were contacted about potentially realizing that dream a lot of those logical you know sometimes logical thinking goes out the window which is why a lot of these like uh spam scamming things work because it's like oh hey i just won five million dollars i'm totally going to give you all my bank account information like for you know some people are just so lost in that and I guess for me, I'm like, what is the incentive outside of just being overtly mean, which we discussed is what is the, what what is the benefit that this person is getting by messing with this, this poor kid? Like what, ha- you know, like, is there some personal vendetta that they have against them that they would do this? Because to me, it seems like something that takes time out of your day to convince somebody to fly down to Atlanta to go get to a tryout. And then wh- so what now? Now, actually, you've you don't get any benefit because everybody feels sorry for this kid. He's got the high sympathy card and he's got exposure that he didn't have before. So you lost. Yeah.
1: I mean, it could have been funny. It could have been funny up to the
0: point where like Dave says, Hey, Clee,
1: by the way, that, that text or phone call you got, we're fucking with you. And, and we stop right there. But for me to board a plane and and tickets and I tell everyone, Hey, I'm getting, I'm getting a look here. Mm, you're really you're really going into territory that's fucked up
0: and it doesn't even sound like it's somebody that they he knew it sounds like it's a total random stranger who wanted to do this that's just i i, I just can't even get behind anything like that and the overt shittiness that somebody yeah. would do that to you like we've seen people do shitty things before that but this feels like something that is so innocent in hey i'm gonna i mean i can't believe it. i can i can imagine this kid calling his mom or his dad and being like i just yeah. i can't believe this i'm gonna get a tryout, like and then it all falling completely flat and, his, and he has to call his parents to be like it was a total hoax like i as a parent i would be just devastated
1: yeah have you guys ever been pranked like either maliciously or you know that you want to share because I know sometimes i can bring up trauma but have you guys ever been in a situation where you're like dude what the fuck like you know what that's not even funny or like you know what great you guys got anything you guys can think of
2: uh, no, pretty much everybody who knows who knows me knows not to try to pull something like that on me because it, it is not going to go. It is not going to go over uh, particularly well. Matt, you got anything?
0: Yeah, uh, not as an adult actually. It was when I was a kid, and I, I think this counts as a prank because this is my dad big time. But when I was a kid, he had me convinced. That my butt was broken because there was a crack in it. And as a little kid, I totally bought it. Totally fucking bought it. And my wife thinks that is the funniest thing ever because I was like sobbing, believing him. And I was so young that it was like, oh, wait a minute. It's supposed to be like that. And that was my dad. Like he would do that kind of stuff, but he could also take it at the same time, like as I got older. So. Uh, I would consider that a prank because I feel like as a parent, that's just, <laughs> it's like, it's like putting tape on the bottom of a cat's paw and watching them try and shake it off and getting amusement out of it. Like, come on. Wow. it's Funny, but fucked up. I mean, I guess the closest I came to being pranked is that my parents tried to get me to believe
2: in Jesus and you know, she didn't really take, nice. but other other <laughs> other than that, you know, um, no, no, that's, that's not, that's not really a prank because it, because it was done with love. So
1: it can't be a prank. Yeah. Um, I, uh... I got one I got one of like A few as a child But the, Probably the worst Malicious one I could think of um, I got invited to a birthday party Which I was stoked about Because Relatively nobody Just new to the country Stuttered Name's Cleveland I mean Pick your fucking Pick your trauma here And I uh, got invited to a party That I thought was black tie Like basically like I'm a kid that's gonna get Dressed up for a party I get there Everyone's like casual and chilling i'm the only jerk off for like with tails on damn near like what the f- and they're like dude you really fell for that did you not read the, the invitation and i was like no nah, i just got stoked that i got a fucking invitation to the party so i had to stand there everyone's chilling and i look like the the guy who's chauffeuring kids to the party
0: <laughs> uh- <laughs> good Dave, I honestly thought Cleve was going to say that when he was like 36, 40 years ago, he got one of those uh, AARP things in the mail. And it turns out he was uh, not young. Like they they pranked him. He wasn't too old. He wasn't old enough. The Benjamin
1: Button thing. Listen, Mm -hmm.
0: Cleve's out here trying to dodge his Nigerian princes. So,
2: (laughs) but one thing, one thing that I do want to pick up, because you brought up something that's a really good point is that you brought up like people being scammed and I think that that's very true. Like these awful pranks and scams are the same thing, except the scam gets the person doing the prank paid. Yes. But it's, there's, they're so similar. And that's why, like, I respond, but the the money isn't the thing that to me makes it awful. It makes it more awful, Mm -hmm. but it's not the thing that makes it awful. So that's why I get like so amped up about pranks like this because they're just, they're just not funny or good. And the reason that I think this, whoever did this, did it is that i think this person is just an asshole he's got a bunch of asshole friends and they think this sort of thing is funny and yeah. so they they're probably do this all over the place in all sorts of different ways just because they think it's entertaining to do
1: but like i said guys you know was it uh you guys can refresh my memory during the, during the super bowl with the guy that street streaked or whatever remember mm-hmm. that, that was all set up you know that wasn't a random like it's like hey dave put some money on me I'm gonna, I'm gonna get down to the field, and I'm gonna streak, and you're gonna cash it in, right? You know. So like, when I think of these things happening in the ultra world that we're in now, I think of like, is this, is this real? Is this something that someone did to get viral? Did someone get this to get a look? Because if it is, it's actually brilliant to say, hey, I showed up thinking that I got an official offer here, but whilst I'm here, here's my resume. Uh, got some guys I can just show my shit off to real quick. So I just always think of that. But like I said, you guys are right, you know, and we can move on from this. It's just that it's not funny or it could have been funny up until like, hey Dave, uh, was that real? You're like, nah, we just fuck on you. Like that, you know, the text, don't go buy a plane ticket, don't go don't go do stuff. Um, you know, it's the people that they get like the fake lottery tickets. Like they're playing to quit their job and they can see all this shit in front of them. And I'm like, dude, like that's not the way to go right yet. Make sure that this is real, you know crazy crazy stuff
0: maybe don't light the bridge on fire like the second you find out you got the lottery ticket maybe let that marinate a little bit and kind of figure some shit out (laughs) (laughs) oh my
2: goodness (laughs) anyway all right uh khalif yes you you said you want to talk about some scheduling quirks that um that you found for the nfl this year with them changing you know how long the thing is going to be and whatever i have a Really strong opinion related to this that you know I just discovered something earlier this week. But I want you to go ahead and go first and let me know like what are some of the what are some of the quirks that you discovered about the schedule this year?
1: So so basically, um there were like 13 oddities that were reported with how the scheduling panned out this year for, for the new year. Um Notably, I'm, I'm not going to pick all 13, obviously, but I'm just, just going to pick a couple here. So the Buccaneers will be featured in five. Uh, primetime games in 2021 after playing five in 2020 giving them 10 total of 10 since they signed Tom Brady so obviously signing Tom Brady cashed in that they won a Super Bowl with the guy but this obviously gives them credibility to get on primetime uh which which honestly what is that is that the Monday night game is that the Sunday it's, night it's thursday, pre- thursday, thursday Thursday Sunday and Monday night OK, so that's when so that's when they, were, these guys were obviously featured. So that that kind of panned out for them because um, the last time they had 10 primetime games was like 2013. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, another one that was interesting was uh, the Jets and the Jaguars, possibly in week six. Well, in week 16 they're they may be the uh, number one, number two picks facing off against each other. So my beloved Jets will face. Uh, Trevor Lawrence and probably ultimate slaughter. Um, (laughs) And uh, we'll see how our pick panned out against the uh, golden guy here. Um, Another one of note is um, the Panthers. So they're at New Orleans, at Tampa Bay, at the Chiefs, at Cincinnati, at Denver. And uh, the only teams in the NFL to finish the 2021 season with back-to-back road games, the Chiefs were un- only undefeated team on the last road season of 8-0. So the Panthers kind of got a tough sled here, Tampa Bay Chiefs. I don't know about Cincinnati, in Denver, but they're getting um they're getting some looks by getting our old quarterback. Um what do you guys think about how the scheduling uh favors when you make some signings or, or you kind of get seeded or whatever? Well, so, yeah, the, the
2: league, the the teams you're going to play are preset based on formula, basically. Um, so they can't change, like, who you're going to play, but they can say when in the season and, you know, during the week when, when you're going to play them. So it's not a shock to me that Tom Brady gets to play five primetime games. I mean, the league wants to show off their biggest attraction and have people come watch, and I don't think it's going to be hilarious when his arm finally falls off this year and he's terrible and he's out here struggling in front of huge audiences. I don't actually think that's going to happen, but we can hope. Um, so I think that makes sense that the league would want to feature its, its best players. And there is a rule that each team has to get at least one primetime game every single year, which is uh-huh. why the Thursday night games tend to be trash. Um, although week two, we've got uh, Lions at Packers, Monday night football. So we can see the whole nation gets to see how crappy we are immediately.
0: Jordan Love yep. versus Jared Goff.
2: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh man, I have a lot of um, I have a lot of fantasy football drafts that rely on Aaron Rodgers going to Denver. So yes, I hope we get Jordan Love. Uh, I mean, I mean, Jordan Love starts week two against the Lions. He's going to go what three hundred and fifty yards for touchdowns, another hundred on the ground with two more touchdowns. I mean, oh. Huh. Um, yeah. Another okay. thing that I noticed another thing I noticed here, Cleve, is that the Browns will play the Ravens back to back. Yes. Um, and it's like the first time that's happened since like nineteen ninety-one is that a team yes. has played another team back to back.
1: Yeah. How does that affect like um and I ask you this offline, how does that affect uh like DK and and, and you know, well DK obviously DraftKings and and um and FanDuel, how does, you know, uh how, yeah, how would so if I'm if I'm betting right, Dave? Then this is me speaking, not for the the fandom that we have for the show, but this is me speaking. If I want to run it, if I want to run back my same lineup, would would the payout still be the same? Obviously, you know the stats won't be the same, but would would they let you like put that in for two weeks or you got to do a whole nother setup? I'm 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 just speaking as someone who's never laid a a serious bet in FanDuel or, or DraftKings, but when it comes to a back to back same same situation how does that work so it won't impact it at all really
2: so uh in order to be within the game it has to be playing showdown and showdown is where you play the players just in one specific nfl game right um but the thing is that between the first game and the second game the prices of the players are going to change okay um which would impact in your ability to to, right. to play them. So, and then also they're going to be playing opposite fields. So like one game is in Cleveland, the other game's in Baltimore. Well, that really changes things. You might not want to play Baker Mayfield in Baltimore, but you might want to play him in Cleveland. Yeah. Right? Um, so it doesn't really, it doesn't really impact DraftKings or FanDuel. It doesn't impact daily fantasy at all because everything changes week to week. What it does impact, what it can impact here though, is season-long fantasy football. So this is actually very important for the audience. You know, your fantasy football league should now be having its championship game in week 17, right? And assuming two playoff rounds, that means week 15 and 16 for the playoffs, week 17 for your league Super Bowl. You do not want to have your championship in week 18 because the best players won't be playing. They'll be sitting out getting money for the playoffs. So Mahomes gets you to your fantasy Super Bowl, then he's not playing in it. Okay. You also don't want the playoffs to be in week 14 anymore because in week 14, four teams are on a bye. And it used to be that byes were done by week 12. Now buys go into week 14. So yeah, now, this season, the first, I think the first
1: bye weeks are week six.
2: Yes. Yeah, so now they're between six and 14. and It is absolutely ridiculous. There's like yeah. four teams in week six and four or between weeks, like six, seven, thir- uh, 13 and 14 like half the league have those and they have the other half split out across the middle that's absolutely ridiculous but for fantasy football purposes you do not want to have playoff games in week 14 so make sure you check with your league or whatever no championship in week 18 no playoffs in week 14 or else you're going to have important like Christian McCaffrey's not playing week 14 because the Panthers are on a bye so yeah. make sure you're not having your fantasy playoffs in week 14
0: gotcha okay i'm absolutely rigging my fantasy football league so that all of the, what dave said is the exact opposite so i can win again that's exactly <laughs> what i'm doing
1: oh
2: man thank you I for love, that advice I love, dave i appreciate it i love how matt won't make us won't make a single bet but he will absolutely screw over his friends and family fantasy football league for 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 what like like 20 bucks and a pack of gum what do you guys play for
0: we don't play for anything we play for personal pride man so i've won two out of three championships without having to mess with anything now i know how it works
1: Great. Wait, so like, there's no tro- like no trophy like you guys don't do anything like quirky like that no on, i'm ahead.
0: the only sports person that's involved oh so like you're a ringer basically sort of not really because like i don't like it to me even though i know about football i'm it doesn't really make a difference in fantasy football because most of the people that end up doing well are people that have no clue and they auto draft or they just pick the next player up and they seem to always do better than I do. So it doesn't really make a difference.
2: Well, an off season full of podcasts with me, you're going to go undefeated this year. Well, what <laughs> up...
0: What, well, Dave, what ends up happening to me is the first year I went like undefeated, and the next year I wasn't very good. But then this past year I was like the last pl- one of the last teams to make the playoffs, but I got in, and that was what counted. Because everybody stopped paying attention for some reason, and I rose to the top. So, uh, that seemed to be what happened. What Uh, was that year
1: you had the algorithm that the points were, like, outrageous?
0: Oh, every year. I actually max it out so we can have the most ridiculous point totals possible. Because I'm playing in this one league where, like, the average point is, like, 65 per week, and it's so friggin' boring. So... I go in there and just try to tweak it as much as possible. And I, everybody, I ask everybody, like, hey, do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want this? But uh, I'm considering head coaches this year.
1: Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. So the reason that
2: they stop paying attention is that there's no money involved. By the way,
0: oh well some I of them sure. stopped paying attention in week one and i kicked those people out of the league i at least wanted to pay some sort of an attention but we might do money this year it was just funny because it's a whole bunch of people we're just a big group of friends like from all over the country and we just want an excuse to trash talk every week pretty much
1: yeah
2: so the one thing that i did not want to mention about the scheduling quirk
0: here that
2: has me absolutely uh going out of my mind is not the fantasy football implications uh, cause that's not really up to the NFL to care to care about. Um it is the fact that they added a week to the season, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, that means you're gonna start Labor Day weekend. Not true. They're adding a week to the back end of the season. so they're making everything a week longer. So what does that mean? It means that the season finishes a week later. The Super Bowl last year, this previous Super Bowl with the with the Bucks beating the Chiefs, was played on February 7th. So if you back it up a week, Cleve, what day is the Super Bowl on? On Valentine's Day, brother. They move the Super Bowl to Valentine's Day weekend every single year. Every year. Every seven years, it's going to fall on Valentine's Day. But every year, it's on Valentine's weekend. How stupid and short-sighted and how much hubris do you need to have as Roger Goodell to think you can put the Super Bowl on a holiday and like it's not gonna be a problem? Like literally, you're putting everybody in such a tough spot. Now, I have a double problem, and that's that Megan's birthday is February 13th. Oh man, double which is, that. Which is the date of the Super Bowl this coming year. No, that's <laughs> not that's not really their problem. They that they could not really fix that. However, they didn't have to put it on Valentine's Day weekend every single year. The Super Bowl is now on Megan's birthday and Valentine's weekend every single year. Damn. Like, I don't, I don't even think they thought about it. I don't think it even came into their mind. I don't think, because I don't think Roger Dell gives a shit about anybody. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, we don't want to start at Labor Day weekend, blah, blah, blah. We're going to play a Valentine's Day weekend
1: instead. I'm it's just a- absolutely stupid. I'm so mad. I tell you what, though, every every bar that you go to eat for Valentine's Day is going to be playing a game and every guy is going to be doing this. Yeah, babe, it, it's great. And then they're going to be over their shoulder watching the game. <laughs> it's going to be. However,
0: awesome. Roger Goodell clearly listens to political football because he knows that my birthday is February 16th. He also knows that my wife loves to watch football. So whenever the Super Bowl falls on February 16th, it will be deemed Maddie Ice Day, the biggest sports the biggest sports event of our lifetime will be on potentially on my birthday and i will have a free pass every year every week wow thank you raj really appreciate
1: it because your wife speaks football
0: she does speak football sometimes a little bit uh you know broken broken football but we get we get football every now and again
1: and then you get some people that that football is frowned upon because you know, I, I have a friend, I, I'm not gonna put his name out, but he literally every Sunday during football season, he's in a massive fight because he has to go to church. And church, ends when the, the games are coming on for the one o'clock slot, and his wife wants to mingle and kinda hang out, and he's like, hey, let's go. I, I came to church, let's get to my church. Every year he said it's a fight. It's a major fight for him. Well, listen, if he doesn't wanna go to church anymore,
2: I can give him some pointers, some arguments to make to uh, to get out of it. It might also end his marriage, but he won't <laughs> have to go to church anymore. So, all right. So speaking of people who are going to need prayers to be successful on a Sunday, we have Cleve's friend and we have Kadarius Tony. Um, And, and I don't mean, I don't mean to keep uh, uh banging on this kid. And I actually, for like his sake, I kind of hope I'm wrong about all this. It's really the New York Giants that I'm that I'm uh, bagging on here in their terrible decision making. So Matt, last week at the end of the show, you referenced an article from Riot Report um, about how they sort of measured first round wide receivers. Can you refresh the audience on what what it is that you found?
0: It's basically uh, looking at drafts from 2011 to 2017 using um, AV, which is uh, approximate value. It's. It's like uh, pro football references uh, semi-equivalent to war and baseball, which tries to kind of give you an idea of how uh, valuable a player is above if they use a replacement player. So in this particular case, it's trying to take into consideration position, you know, offensive schemes and everything. It's a very, very approximate number, but it took that. And basically said like an approximate value of five is like what an nfl starter like an everyday nfl starter can easily achieve and they looked at draft picks by position for those six or seven drafts and tried to see by position which ones had would reach that and by percentage in which ones didn't and we talked about wide receiver and how wide receiver had like the second lowest percentage i think of uh drafted players in the first round that achieved that and by comparison when an av of five is considered what a every day, you know, and every game starter can achieve Aaron Donald's last year was 20.
2: Yeah. So, uh, so I took that, took that information and I wanted to go back and take a more in-depth look because you had said last week that because like only a third of the receivers or whatever had made that number that taking the right receiver was more of a crapshoot maybe than, than, than other positions
0: well it was more that we have metrics to what you had talked about but yet it still seems that the choice you know like the draft picks of overall seem to have a low probability of reaching that threshold despite the fact that we do have these metrics uh to be able to know or at least try to try to project which one should have a better hit on their investment in the first round is it's kind of what i was saying
2: exactly that's exactly right and so I wanted to go back and take a look at the individual players here because my hypothesis is that we can actually look at the players that made it, the players that didn't make it in terms of the AV five, and see what they have in common, and then compare that to Tony to really make this point about why you know these these metrics actually matter and how they can, how they can be predictive uh, in in the first place. Um so Cleve, I'm gonna ask you a series of wide receivers. I just want you to tell me if you think if you think they're good or bad, okay? Yeah. AJ Green. Uh bad. No, no, not right now. I mean in their in their in their best years. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Julio Jones.
1: Of course, yes.
2: DeAndre Hopkins. Nuke, yes. Mike Evans. Yes. Odell Beckham. Yes. Brandon Cooks. Yes. Amari Cooper. Yes. Will Fuller. Uh, yes. Okay. So, those are some of, those are some of the yeses on the list. Now I'm going to give you some of the some of the other players, okay? Tell me you think these players are bad. Jonathan Baldwin. Yes. Justin Blackman. Yes. Michael Floyd. Yes. Kendall Wright. <laughs> yes.
1: Tavon Austin. Ooh, is that is that the kid that the De La Soul's son or whatever? Tavon Austin. Uh, uh if, Rams, if that's believe. how, if that, yeah, if that, uh no, that was the running back from Auburn. But if that's um, uh if that's
2: how you're going to be knowing Tavon Austin, then the answer is he's bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, Kevin White. I don't even know who that is. Exactly. So my point is, is that there is a huge range. Of players, right? These are wide receivers drafted in the first round between 2011 and 2017. That's not Uh, all of them, but I picked uh, them like to to demonstrate that, like you can have Julio and Kevin White, right? Okay, so I want to talk about the the four metrics that I chose to look at. Five, really, but the four that I chose to look at. Um, Cleve, do you know what
1: breakout age means? Um, you guys kind of touched on it last week, and I'm Mm going to reach for a branch here. I think breakout age is like when you're, you're at your peak. Is that about, is that about right? No,
2: breakout age is the age at which you achieve a 20% dominator rating. Dominator rating is just a percentage of your team's overall yards and touchdowns. Right. Okay. So you just need 20% total of your team's yards and touchdowns. At what age did you achieve that? Right. Right. Okay. The the younger, the better, for obvious reasons, right? If you can do it at 18, it's better than doing it at 22, right? So the dominator rating is how much of the yards and touchdowns on a, on a team that you, that you had. And of course, if you're a really good player, that number should be higher. You should be getting more targets, more catches, more yards, more touchdowns, right? Yeah. I also looked at height and weight because you can be successful in the NFL being short and small. But it's not mm-hmm. as common, right? There, For every Deshaun Jackson and Tyreek Hill, there's a ton of Marquise Browns and Tabon Austins and, you know, people that didn't make it. Whereas if you're big and strong, it's a lot easier to be, to be better in the NFL. So what I did is that I went and I took the averages of all the good players and all the bad players to show how these relate to one another, okay? Mm-hmm. So... For the good players, their average breakout age, this is Julio and AJ Green and Mike Evans, their average breakout age was 19.1 years old. Basically 19. Okay. Which is pretty incredible when you think about it, right? Because in college football, that makes you a sophomore. Yeah. So that means that these players are breaking out as underclassmen. For the bad players in the class, the average breakout age was 20.1, or basically as a junior. So one year is a big difference when there's only four years to pick from, right? Yeah. So the younger, the better. Um, for Dominator rating, this is basically a tie: thirty-seven point four for the good players, thirty-six point eight for the bad players. Effectively a tie when you're talking about percentages out of out of a hundred. So basically, though, what it's saying though is that you need to have a high Dominator rating in the first place to even be in this in this uh, consideration. Um, so again, good breakout age 19.1, bad breakout age 20.1. Kadarius Tony, 21.6. Wow. Yeah. So he's over a year and a half older in breakout age than the average of the bad players. Only two of them actually had a worse one than him. Um, and they were Tavon Austin and Oh, geez. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin. So, um, and then Dominator rating, right? The good player is 37. The bad player is 36. Kadarius Tony 23 for Dominator rating. So, he's 14 points off in Dominator rating. So, just from those two things right there, you can see he doesn't quite stack up even to the average of the bad players that were. That were drafted the Kevin Whites that you have never heard of, right? Mm-hmm. um but Then we have size. Now the sizes were also close, like the dominated rating, which I wasn't shocked to find. Um, six one and a third for the good wide receivers, six one and an eight for the bad wide receivers. Weight two oh eight for the good wide receivers, two oh five for the bad wide receivers. So basically, six one two oh six is the average for these wide receivers. Kadarius Tony is 5'11", 193. The thing is, none of the good wide receivers, I'm sorry, only one of the good wide receivers was under six feet tall, and that's Wolf Fuller. So, so there were some there were some really tall wide receivers that were bad, but all the short ones were bad
1: except for Wolf Fuller. So let me ask you this, Dave. So uh Justin Black is on that on that list, right? Yes, he is. Is that the guy that drank his way out of the league?
2: Uh Justin Blackman, I think he did have some issues. Michael he Floyd
1: was a Texas, Texas tech. And he no. talent, but I think got a league. Justin Blackman went to Oklahoma State. I do go, think he had
2: some some issues. Michael Floyd had some substance abuse issues. But here's the thing Justin Blackman, twenty point seven breakout, forty four dominator rating. He had almost half of his team's receiving yards and touchdowns.
1: So, so- so here's the thing. I guess this is this is where I play devil's advocate, or kind of get uh, stick my beak in this conversation. So I look at the metrics because you guys are, you know, you guys are uh, going off the science basically, at, at and it's it's proven because it's you know it's it's over a a period of time where they're tracking this this metric. I, I always talk about how the college game or high school game when you go to college and vice versa, how that translates to the NFL um we we've all seen guys who have who have had off the chart metrics right come into the league and just do not it, their game does not pan out it does mm-hmm. not translate to pro game so this is obviously based on best outcome scenario that this person given scheme given landing spot given um quarterback if they're if, if they're a receiver given given this where you're not like playing for the Tony Romo Dallas Cowboys who's giving Jason Witten like 50 fucking targets where you're not going to get your target share for the most part because guys are already entrenched in a system where you're coming in and until you prove it to someone, you know, the ball's coming your way or not. So getting back to this Dominator rating thing, the Dominator rating, it, it's based on what you did against other other not NFL plays what you did against other players in your conference in your in your college game or whatever it is. So make me understand why this is definitely important to me if I am a GM drafting a player because he got 20% or 44% of their target share. Where we just saw a guy drafted in the uh, in, in this draft where he was a tight end on his team, but he was a monster. Monster. Yeah. So the yeah. next guy behind him is going to get a ten percent share, you know, where they can't show that, that how great they are because there's another it is this guy and then there's you.
2: So the reason the Dominator rating is important is because we're not predicting how they're going to do in college. If we were, we'd say these are all going to be great players. We're predicting mm-hmm. how they're going to do in the NFL, so we can compare them to each other, mm-hmm. right? And so you have Kadirius Tony, University of Florida, as a senior, you know, twenty one point six years old, gets twenty three percent. Uh, of a dominator rating. Then you have Julio Jones at Alabama at 19 and a half years old, gets 35, right? Um, You have uh, DeAndre Hopkins at 18.2 years old, like literally could just vote, getting 39.3 on a team with Sammy Watkins and Markavis Bryant. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's not, it's important. And the thing is too, your argument about like how some of these players wash out of the league Hurts Tony because some of the washouts are the best for his averages. Michael Floyd, 18.8 breakout, 39 dominator rating, 6'3, 220. Michael Floyd washing out helps the average of the bad players, right? If he washed out because he, you know, substance abuse, that's even more of a problem for Tony going forward and really a problem for the Giants in their draft selection process, right? Yeah. Old players that break out late. That don't dominate and are undersized aren't good wide receiver prospects. Period. Period. They aren't. And you can point. Oh, and one other thing. One other thing. So you're like, okay, but some undersized wide receivers do make it, which is true. Right. Some undersized wide receivers do make it. Tyreek Hill, of course, although he was a fifth round pick. Um, Deshaun Jackson is a is a real is a real famous one. Um, On this list, Wolf Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Odell Beckham is technically only like 5'11 and three quarters, but he's six foot tall. Um, So what I did is I went and I found the burst score. Burst score is your 40 time adjusted to your size. So like the best burst score in a wide receiver ever is Calvin Johnson, who ran a 435 at 65240, right? Mm -hmm. So even though there's other receivers that run faster, doing it that size gives him the highest burst score. So if you're smaller, your burst score can be hurt because you should be able to run faster, right? So I went and averaged the burst scores for every receiver on this list that is within an inch of Tony either way. Um, So anybody, any receiver between 5'10 and 6' tall, right? And under 200 pounds, since he's under 200 pounds, right? Kadarius Tony's burst score, 92.5. That's in the 62nd percentile, right? The average for all of them, good and bad on this list, so just same size weight on this list, is 102.9. That's the 77th percentile. So even adjusting for his speed at his size, he's still below every other receiver on this list on average. And if you do just the good players, he's way behind. Odell Beckham and Wolf Fuller, right? It's just, it's a bad process to draft
1: Kadarius Tony. But- where you drafted him okay okay so then the argument could be made that odell beckham is not the odell beckham that was on the giants he's still a still a threat probably can still you know clean some clocks out there but what is odell in like year four five seven, seven. In 2014 20 okay seven okay so um obviously with with see Here's my thing. I'm not I'm not arguing against the, the metrics or the math here because you you know you have you have solid data. What I'm arguing is what I always say about when it comes to uh sports, period. And obviously we're NFL, you know, we're an NFL um, situation right now. You like those things are great, right? But if this kid ends up having a Hall of Fame fucking career, then this means nothing in 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 the regard that how bad someone may want something to achieve because it's based on it's based on someone, okay, based on this, you should do this in, in this league, right? Granted, you know, the substance abuse and all that other stuff that that, that can hinder a career. But based on your six foot six foot four, your two hundred and twenty five pounds, your missile, we should have this problem. But it but it doesn't take in in, in consideration that this person may not know the scheme. The quarterback play might be scant. They may be injury prone. So we're we're guessing at okay. This is the best possible outcome for this player that we drafted, because based on what we see on paper, is what we what we're gonna get. Because I, like I said, this this kid, I don't I don't have anything against them. I just going off of how you just don't like the pick, because I think it's not where. It's not who he is. I think it's, you look at it like, well, when they picked him, like yeah, I don't, like- I don't, I don't know, KJ Tony at all. I mean, he could be, yeah, he could be, he could be great. I mean, as,
2: as a person, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, all I know is that picking him there was bad process. You know, Matt, uh, Cleve said, you know, if this guy ends up being the Hall of Famer, whatever, whatever, whatever. Of course, if you were to do that, then his numbers are going to be average for the good players as well, and help to help to impact them. So, Matt, can you explain like, uh, because you're you're a math person, uh, day to day, like like how i'm trying to say that this is bad process versus what the results could be and the difference between uh result and process
0: so Cleve, i think in totality right like we have these metrics we had we don't just have them for the draft we have them for for play calling and in any sort of kind of game scenario but as you know it's just one small piece of the puzzle so when these gms when these executives are looking at their draft board number one they're picking whoever's left so obviously if they're looking at some of these draft picks that they would like like every team who needed an offensive weapon would have loved to draft kyle pitts but if if you're not anywhere near the top of the draft board you're not going to take him right so you have to look at what you have so what dave is saying and what the, the the metrics are helping you do is kind of give you an objective look a statistical look at a player and you can do this for anything you can do this for stocks right you can do this for any type of commodity that you're hoping makes it big you're looking at a whole bunch of data to try to project what that could be for you in terms of an investment and i hate to necessarily call these these kids investments but that's the way that i think of it in terms of this right yeah so then the second part of that and dave has alluded to this and i've alluded to this now comes down to the human beings that are making these choices and as we've seen john gruden doesn't give a rat's ass about any of these metrics and he feels like he knows better. So he's looking at the team the, the players that are on here, he doesn't really care about stuff like that and he's going to pick the player that seems to work out for him. But there's a reason why we have pre-draft interviews, there's a reason why they look at medical reports, there's a reason why scheme of where they come from, and also landing spot matters too. So all of those in totality need to be taken into consideration. And what Dave I think is trying to say is that If you're looking at a player of this type, you have these metrics that kind of tell you compared to other contemporaries. Now, the one thing about that article, Dave, that you didn't mention is that it's very heavy. Like the the good players are very heavy loaded in 2014. So like the distribution of those wide receivers is very Mm -hmm. much in one spot. So like it very much looks like a bell curve in that regard, where it's like a lot of the guys you named were drafted in 2014, which does skew the wide receiver numbers as a whole. Because I think it was like an 80% hit rate in 2014. And when you look at the names in the first round, it makes total sense.
2: That's an eighty percent hit rate in twenty twenty as well. I mean, twenty twenty's got yeah. Jefferson, CD, Lamb, Jerry, Judy, Brandon Ayuk. They're all going to get there, for yeah. Sure, with the yeah. Ruggs label to go, so it happens. You know, they, oh, they it does happen. A cool
0: yeah, but like when if for the for the the listeners who can't see the data, like that's you know when you look at some of them, I think one of the years was like a zero or something like that. So it all does even itself out. But I think what Dave is saying is that you're in your position and you have to look at what's left what the, you know, you know, like who's on your board and how are you evaluating? And I think where the mistake is made is that like, instead of looking at all of these things in totality, somebody like Dave Gettleman, who calls it software, doesn't have a clue what any of these metrics are. So he's going by what Dave has referred to as like the highlight reel. He's probably watched a bunch of YouTube videos of Kadarius Tony and been like, man, look at this guy, this guy right here, this guy. When everybody else is like, yo, Dave, um, you know, we look at other guys that have been drafted in, in a similar spot to him. This is kind of what we're seeing on a return investment and this guy really doesn't stack up in that regard could he be a weapon for our team sure but maybe not where we're picking here because any first round pick is a high like you're there there's a lot of value there and so if you're taking somebody who doesn't really belong there when you look at the totality of everything that you've done you're now looking at the opportunity cost of what you could have done and what davis pointed out many times is that like that the Lions drafted Eric Ebron when they could have drafted Aaron Donald, right? Or something like that. and it's, right. Or, you know, whatever it was. And it's like, so think about how massive that opportunity cost is now. You've decided to go over the tight end, which, by the way, has a 0% success rate across the board for every single draft in the first round. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's why I think it's in totality. Like, it, it, when you do the interviews, when you do the combine stuff, when you're trying to meet these kids and learn about them, that's where you're trying to take into account you know, how can they pick up the playbook? You know, do they seem pretty sharp? You know, when Gruden did his like uh, quarterback camp stuff, which we it, you know we all made fun of him or whatever. That's kind of why I feel like where you start, you try to learn about those things. You try to figure out are there intangibles here, but there are some stuff you're never going to figure out. Nobody had a damn clue that Brady was going to be Brady, which is why he was all the way in the sixth round. And Belichick is not a genius for taking him because he could have taken him five other times <laughs> right ahead of him, and he didn't. So that's why I think it's it's all to say to me that the draft is complicated. And you build through the draft, but at the same time, it's not easy to have a, oh, this guy's definitely going to be hit. So rarely do we have that, right, Dave, where it's like, even with some of these metrics, sometimes they don't work out. And it's not necessarily because they're not ready for it in terms of the metrics or their, you know, their size and so forth. A lot of other factors come into it. it. That's really the point that I was trying to make with it is that it's, it's complicated. And when you're taking a guy in a certain spot, you have to think about what that what, what's the value of where we're picking here, and are we going to get the kind of investment that is uh, similar to the value at where we're choosing him? Like Kadarius Tony is a value pick, but if you pick him later, not where they picked him. And I agree with that.
2: So there's 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 an important distinction here that I'm that I'm picking up on that I want to make sure that that we're speaking on the same page. Because Matt, I agree with with the vast majority of everything you just said, but the point of the draft is not to pick the best players all the time the mm-hmm. point of the draft is draft is to help you become better than the other mm-hmm. teams in the league yeah which means really you just need to draft better yeah. on average than the other teams in the league most mm-hmm. importantly the teams in your division right mm-hmm. so if 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 you're a team that's like say the lions only get a draft pick right 10 percent of the time and 90 percent of the time it's a bust, but all the other teams only get it right 1 of the time the lions are doing it the best even though they suck too which means that while the draft is complicated and while it can be difficult and while it's full of landmines, you can still be better at it than your opponent and thus make it work for you. That's where the Giants keep getting it wrong. They over they reached for Saquon Barkley, even though he's really good. They reach for Daniel Jones. They reach for Kadarius Tony, right? They do the draft worse than their opponents which is going to make it harder for them to be better than their opponents. And you can see it now going into the future. Now they have Saquon Barkley, who they have to pay coming up a lot of money or lose him, which means he was a terrible draft pick if they don't keep him. The team is actually pretty good now. They've added some good pieces through free agency, except the quarterback probably sucks, right? Because they reached for him. And then they went out and they didn't get him any help this year because they reached for another player. You can see how their bad draft strategy is actually what's keeping them back, right? Their free agency has been great, you know? So it's about drafting versus your opponents. And so now I'm going to look at in the same city because the the Jets took a wide receiver as well in the second round with the 34th pick. So Tony goes 20th, 21st, somewhere in there, uh, 20th, and then Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss goes thirty um, fourth. So, Cleve, you're a Jets fan. Here's Kadarius Tony as a true freshman. Okay, as a true freshman at Florida, he's nineteen years old. For once, he's already a year older than most freshmen. He has a six point seven percent target share at Florida um, in twenty seventeen as a true as a true freshman. Now, six point seven percent as a freshman is not terrible except who was who was the wide receiver at Florida in 2017? I don't even remember. It was the same Swain people that don't really matter. Then you have Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore is an 18-year-old true freshman at Ole Miss, gets 11% of the targets. He gets 36 catches for 400 yards, two touchdowns, 11% of the targets. On a team with A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf. Elijah Moore's a better pick. His, yeah. dominator, his dominator his rating 41.2, 42%. As soon as Metcalf and Brown were gone, he takes over. Breakout age, 19.4. As soon as he's gone, he breaks out. When they're there, he puts up stats. Elijah Moore is a better draft pick than Kadarius Tony. They play in the same position, slot wide receiver. He's a better bet. He's a better pick. The
1: Jets did better than the Giants. Did uh did Tony uh refresh from so did he did he come out Junior year, or was no, he, he is a true
2: senior and he was a year older going into college. He was 22 already, he was wow. 22 years old right now. Chase Claypool won't even turn 22 until the season starts.
1: Yeah, wow, right? Okay, like,
2: right. So, you see what I'm saying? Like, I, and like I said, I'm really picking on the Giants and not really on the kid. I yeah. the kid has a good career, but for him to be for him to have a career worth being drafted where he was drafted, like. Brandon Cooks was the 20th overall pick. Should he have
1: been the 20th overall pick? This kid could be Brandon Cooks and still be over drafted. Um, so, okay. I, the defense rests. So you guys <laughs> definitely gave a supportive argument uh, of it. My, my only question or my only comment would be that when these GMs or ownership groups or whoever the think tank is that makes these picks – is there is there ever a delta in the equation where they say okay the like they the metric says this right you want Mm -hmm. this you want this guy but the but matt's in the room with us matt's like hey listen based on historical data and and this metrics like this is not where we would want to do this and if we do this to get this guy we can get him later we don't have to get him with this pick is there is there a hint of mad sciences versus j- evil genius, or just like you know what, I want to just make a stupid fucking pick here because I I can do that. Do you Ego. think
2: Dave does Dave Gettleman strike you as the type of person who likes to be told that he's wrong about something?
1: Yeah. So I okay. So right with t- his
2: double with his double mask inside during the draft in 2020, <laughs> with him defending the Saquon pick, with him passing on Justin Fields as insurance for Daniel Jones in case Daniel Jones sucks. He could have another one ready to go, but he passed on Justin Fields. Like, does he strike you as a person where, like, some nerd could come in and be like, hey, Dave, you're wrong. Like, we shouldn't draft Kadarius Tony. That's a bad pick, and you're thinking about doing something bad. We should do this instead. Does he strike you as the type of man who's going to really take that advice?
1: So, okay, you're right. So, <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. So, if if you were to put Gettleman in a, a a Madden mock draft, given you know, you think someone can outdraft him? Like a like a kid, like a twelve year old kid that plays Madden. You think he would outdraft anyone? Any GM? I think I
2: think that most general managers would lose general managing to a computer. Wow. Coaches wouldn't. Coaches wouldn't. Coaches would not. Any real life coach, even Matt Patricia and Rich Codight, would crush a computer at coaching Rich. football. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at at GMing, honestly, if you just let a computer make numbers based decisions, they would do better than most GMs trying to think it through. Um, and so yeah, I think Dave Gettleman like I honestly, I firmly believe that the three of us combined would be a better GM than most of the gms
0: wow well because so many of the gms aren't necessarily like quote football guys right they're (laughs) they're almost kind of like executives where they're yes they they, you know what i mean like they're playing the part but they're not somebody who's down in the trenches who's been coaching who's necessarily played which is why you see a lot of the guys like gettleman and and but Cleve, here's an even better example can you imagine if in the 90s you were the person who had to go tell bill parcells that they weren't going to take whoever it is that bill parcells wanted to take you'd be like i quit (laughs) i'm not doing it and that's what i was making the point i was making dave is like while the draft is complicated a lot of it comes down to who is making these choices and what are they considering when making them and where they're making them and if there's nobody who can tell them right if there's nobody who can tell them otherwise Like, you can't really make the argument that the Patriots have drafted better than the teams in their division, but they had had mitigating circumstances when they have Tom Brady going out there every single year. So, like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And But but when you're – that's what I was trying to say is, like, the Gettleman's and the Gruden's of the world who could have all the metrics in the world, all the data in the world, they don't actually care. They're going to take the person that they want to take when they're taking them, and there's no real – my, rhyme or reason why and so the draft is already complicated enough and you're over it by having a terrible strategy mm.
2: so that's, they, that's a great point it's great yeah. point so there you go giants fans we talked about the giants a lot of the last two episodes hope you're happy which
0: one of the <laughs> one of the great things about this year dave is we could actually have gentleman on the show because he's probably going to be fired <laughs> honestly,
2: honestly, I think that if we could just get to him and I was, and we we're like, listen, there's this guy on this podcast just talking epic shit about all your decisions <laughs> in the draft. And they want you to come on and defend your decisions. And they promise to be polite. He's the type of person who might, like, he might not be able to let that stand. Like, if you play a clip of me going, like Does this guy sound like a guy who could be told he's wrong? He'd want to show up.
0: Ugh. He'd like want to come word. through. I like it. I like it. We'll get some branding. Anyway, <laughs> we have less than 10 minutes, fellas. So, um, uh, we have, what other, what other topics of the week do we have? To yes. Cover?
2: So I have, I have one more, I have one more topic here. Um, and this topic was actually not brought up by me, even though it's about the lions. This topic was brought up by Matt because he wants to make fun of the lions no. and he thought he was going to be, and he thought that I would be upset, but I also want to <laughs> make fun of the lions. Um, <laughs> So, apparently, Dan Campbell, new head coach of the Lions and famed kneecap biter, wants a pet lion at Lions practice. Matt, thoughts?
0: I did not bring this up to, to rile you up in any way because I am so here for little things like this because, to me, <laughs> this shows you how we're making hires in the NFL. A guy with two Super Bowl appearances in one chip as Cleveland would say, and Eric B enemy who doesn't want to have an actual Indian on the field while the chiefs are playing or practicing, doesn't get a job, but yet here's Dan. So this is so great because this is um, from NBC sports, but these are the quotes here, Dave. So he wants to have a pet lion. And he says, I wanted you just a legit pet lion on a chain, a big ass chain. And he's really my pet. We just walk around the building, go out to practice. We're at seven on seven. We're behind the kicker when he's kicking. But here's the part that I love the most is he says during a bad practice he'd love to have the lion go out there during positional drills and take a giant shit on the field to let the players know how he feels about that particular practice and you know what i have to say he doesn't need a lion for that because enough people are going to be doing that on the lions all season long so i feel like you know but i just thought to myself you're the head coach of an nfl football team there's 32 of you 32 of you and this is what you're worried about Right? It's one thing for us to make fun of Urban Meyer because he's not using his position players well or he's trying to do. But a pet lion? Like, what? Like, th- this is this is exactly why the hiring stuff really, really pisses me off. It, was, it tickled me to death because I was thinking, this is the kind of news that the NFL needs in the offseason so we can think about football. But at the end of the day, Dave, this is the guy that has been hired to lead your squad, and this is what he's worried about? Jesus. We've lost Dave. Uh, apparently, he is so upset over the lions having an actual lion. Peta has caught to him, and um, they're just not going to allow this to happen. So, Cleve, what do you think about the lion?
1: Um, I think it's completely. It's, I mean, it went from funny to not being funny. Like you know, like this is the emphasis that you're that you're that you're doing this is what this is what you guys are doing this is what you're focused on maybe it's a distracting a distraction thing or whatever it is but I often think about how time is squandered from actually coaching a job doing a job that only 32 other 31 other people can do um at you know at at a given time um I remember and I'm not going to liken this because it's kind of apples to oranges but when Lou Holtz was the Jets coach uh, this guy spent practices teaching the Jets a fucking fight song fight song I don't know if you I mean you guys will remember this because you guys aren't Jets fans but we're like so how about some X's and O's how about that shit how about how about let's do that not worry about a fight song that we don't need because we have an awesome chant already so you know? Lou,
2: Hol- Lou Holtz is a piece of shit and I hate him Um, so that doesn't that doesn't shock me at all like like with with every with every fiber of my being, fuck Lou Holtz. Okay? Like That's like great. just just all the just just I, I dislike Lou Holtz in every way I can dislike a person. <laughs> like like I've never brought him up on this show because I didn't want to have to say this. I absolutely hate Lou Holtz. Um <laughs> Uh, like, like he is a terrible, 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 terrible human being. He got like a medal of freedom from Trump and it's like the eighth worst thing he's ever done. Um, anyways, I, sorry. So I lost audio for a second, but I do have some thoughts on the, on the lion here, the pet lion. So Dan Campbell wants a pet lion. Well, first of all, I hope it eats him. Um, so we get a better coach. Second, I'd rather have Tadarius Tony coaching the lions than Dan Campbell at this point. Um, and third I am sick and tired of NFL teams stealing things from colleges and then making them, like, lame and dumb. Like, LSU already has a pet tiger. It's Mike the Tiger. He shows up to practice. He's at games. LSU already does this, and it's awesome. Like, stop stealing things from college and making it and making it bad. Like the Seahawks taking the 12th man from Texas A&M. Like it's awesome at A&M. There's 105,000 people at Kyle Field and they all yell in unison in their, in their little like army uniforms, which I don't get because why are they the army at Texas A&M? It's not a military school. I don't understand it. But like it's from there. Then Seattle, which is the most overrated city in the country, by the way, goes and steals the 12th man from A&M. And then they get mad and they have to get sued over it. Like it's lame. Don't do it. And the lion should not steal the pet lion. L- LSU already does it. And it's way better when they have their giant cat out there uh wrecking shop and mad on the sideline he almost ate like a auburn player one time like that's what we need we don't need dan campbell out here stealing ideas and making them bad god i fucking hate the lions I in
0: don't... our last oh in our last three minutes i just want to point out dave so texas a&m and virginia tech are the two public schools in this country that have legit rotc's and that's why they're in military
2: well that makes a lot more sense than i mean i knew that had to be something like that like i knew it was like a fashion statement but mm-hmm. I didn't know because like, you weren't like, oh, you go to West Point, Annapolis or Texas A&M. So that's why I was confused.
1: I, um, m- my last comment on this is that I'm against like live animals being trotted out for whatever pleasure. Um, I was the one kid that didn't like to go to the zoo because I just felt like, well, why that? Why does that lion look like he's sad? Like he's, he shouldn't even be there or whatever. So um, yeah, so Dave, good luck with this coach, man, because I don't I don't even know what to even say at this point I mean come on okay listen all I'm gonna say is that we
2: could have hired Eric the enemy but we didn't and also (laughs) also I'm gonna uh exit exit the show on this it's of time but uh horse racing is animal abuse yeah so enjoy enjoy your triple crown people
1: yeah (laughs) good 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 way to take it out bro
0: awesome uh, one one positive thing. So I think both of you know who Rey Mysterio is, wrestler. Um, of course. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, he he uh, recently uh, there was a there was an event over the weekend, and he and his son became the first father son tag team champions, and it was a really cool moment for him. Wow. Ah. Uh, Dedicated his IG to it and uh, just, just really fun. And also Kenny Mayne, who is going to be leaving uh, ESPN very soon. Uh, he is now on the Freedom Tour where he's basically just calling into Levitard's show and giving them golf updates on the actual course. Like that's what he's doing now. So I think that's fantastic. Go, Kenny.
2: Uh. Okay. So I thought Rey Mysterio died. You no. Know. Um, so I'd Almost. like to say uh, rest in peace, Eddie Guerrero, because I was confused. Um, so, uh, sorry, Ray, you're alive. Sorry, Eddie. Sandy, you've been gone for 16 years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was going to say,
1: it's been a, it's been a minute. <laughs> and um,
0: on that note, gentlemen, I think we will talk to you next week. All right. All right. See you later. Political Football is exclusively owned by Dave, Cleve and Matty Ice, and is brought to you by Maddie Ice Media.
2: Soy Latino, and I'm tough in a tough part of your blood colour.